Thank you, Rick. It's so good to be here today on this September morn. Sorry, I uh, <laughs> couldn't resist. Sorry. It is so good to be at Grace today. Um, it's good to be home. It really is. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to worship every Sunday as a part of uh, our faith family. Uh, I want to say thank you on behalf of my wife. Uh, thanks for making us feel welcome. Uh, it was that uh, springtime that we came for the first time, and I'll not forget the first time we came knowing no one, having stepped away from uh, our church that we had led for quite some time. And we walked in the colonnade, and we walked and sat kind of back in the back where Carol and Joe are right about now. And, uh, and Cindy, Cindy, I talked to her just a second ago. Cindy walked up. Yeah, Cindy walked up. And she talked with us for 10 minutes like we had known each other forever. And uh, what a beautiful, hospitable welcome uh, to Grace. And I want to thank Cindy for that. I really do appreciate that. And since that time, we've gotten to know so many other people, uh, gotten to know our pastors, and um, I'm just so grateful for that. It was uh, probably about a month ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago, I was uh, going to an appointment up north of here, and I had to ask Brenda directions. And um, now, a little backstory, we have been involved, as Pastor Rick said, in ministry for the better part of 30 years, and so... Uh, We've always, that's all we've just known. And so when we stepped away, um, that was quite a transition for us. And so I'm asking Brenda directions for somewhere up north of here. And I said, so how do you get there? And she said, well, get on the Beltway and take Bel Air Road north. And I said, is it in Perry Hall? And she said, no, 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 no. No, it's past Perry Hall. You go past our church and you go up into Bel Air. And there is something beautiful about when a church becomes our church. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad to be a part of the church that God is working in? So thank you for your welcome. We really do appreciate it. We're looking through the book of Daniel and learning how and what faithfulness in Babylon looks like. If you were here three weekends ago, Pastor George set the table for us as we were introduced to some faithful Hebrew children called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then, of course, Daniel. Chapter 2, Pastor Don pointed us to a very troubling dream that Daniel gave an interpretation for, and then in a beautiful wrap-up of that message, the glimpse of Jesus Christ himself in the midst of a prophetic uh, idol that was constructed. Last week, Pastor Greg reminded us of God's miracle power and deliverance in a fiery furnace, and not only that, but what faithfulness looks like practically for us. And that was such a blessing. Daniel is such a rich book. Now, I, it, when we come to chapter 4, I decided to try to figure out a way to, uh, in a way, graphically portray chapter 4. And so I called upon my vast artistic skills. <laughs> and this is what I came up with. Now, this could be any number of things. This could represent the Orioles record over the last 10 years right? We're on the right path. We're going up. That's right. This could also represent the amount of sleep adults get when they become parents. You dive. Pastor Eric just said amen somewhere, I think. Amen. Or this could represent, and here's that next picture, the trajectory of chapter 4. When you see chapter 4, you're looking at a vast 
difference of what's going on throughout the entire chapter. I want you to notice that the front end of the chapter and the back end of the chapter are very similar, but it's that middle part that is very, very interesting. Chapter 4 includes a dream, another one, an interpretation, another one, a humiliation, a downward slide, and then a restoration. And the big idea of chapter 4 is quite simple, but I think also very profound, and that is that God's grace is at work in the humble and the humbled, both. God's grace is at work. Now, let's start at the end of chapter 4 because that front end and back end are very similar. Let's start at the end, and we'll bring back to the front in just a moment. Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 34 through 37. The end of the chapter goes this way. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Last verse, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Let's pray together. Would you join with me in prayer as we look into the word? Father, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to again open up the Bible and look at Daniel again this morning. God, what an amazing, rich book that we have the privilege to look at over these weeks. And I'm so thankful for that, Lord. Thank you that your words are so much more than just typed words on a page, but they can leap off the page and by the same spirit that gave them, they can be illuminated in our hearts. And I'm praying for that to happen today. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be able to communicate biblically and faithfully and accurately. I pray the presenting and the receiving would both be blessed by you. And Lord, my prayer is that at the end of our time together, through all that's happened in this service, you, we would be pointed to you more than anything else, to Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I suppose maybe a bit of, of background uh, for us would be a little bit helpful as we kind of move into chapter 4. Neither, neither Brenda nor I are originally from Maryland, uh, but we certainly consider ourselves Marylanders. We, we, we consider ourselves Marylanders now, and that's given for a few reasons because for example, we've lived in Maryland the last 16 years, and so we kind of feel like we've fit in and become a part of the state. We've raised our children here, Allie and Michaela, I think they're watching today. Uh, they, they were raised here. They know nothing else other than a few years in Missouri, but now the bulk of their life in Maryland. I think I'm a Marylander because I know how to pronounce Tawny Town. And I caught myself the other day calling someone hun. I think that qualifies me. 
I don't know. But, but early on, when we first moved to Maryland in 2008, we came from Missouri, the Midwest, where I grew up and Brenda grew up in Spokane, Washington. We were in Missouri for quite a few years before moving here. And when we arrived to Maryland, it was a whole new world for us. It really was in so many different ways, a new home, a, a new traffic system, all, all kinds of stuff to get used to. And, and the cuisine, there's been a theme throughout this service, hasn't there, about food? The cuisine is very different here than what we were familiar with. I, I did not know in 2008 that there were things called crab chips. But I do know now, and I'm glad for them. In 2008, I, I knew what Maryland crabs were. I, I knew what crab cakes were. I'd had a crab cake, actually, back in the Midwest. But I never knew of something called soft-shell crabs. And so when we moved to Maryland, we were celebrating our anniversary one year. We, moved, we went downtown to Baltimore for a restaurant there, and um, I decided, you know, to look at the, all sides of the menu. And I, I noticed that in the menu, there was soft-shell crabs on the menu. And I thought to myself, now's as good a time as any. I'm going to try one. And so I placed my order for a soft-shell crab. And the... Uh, the waiter brought it. When the food was ready, he brought it and set it down. And when he did, my thought bubble got very crowded all of a sudden. Because in that thought bubble, the very first thought was, oh my. And then the thought was, is it dead? And then maybe a practical thought is, how, how do I eat this? But you know, when in Maryland, and so I just reached down, I don't know if I used silverware, I just reached down to one of the 17 appendages and I, I grabbed them and I just began to eat. And that was the day I became a Marylander, that day. <laughs> it was awesome. And now, I think they'll be in heaven. I really do, you know? Here's your crown, well done, soft-shell crab. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the fact is, I, I'm kind of an evangelist for them now. I, I am a witness to their excellence. I really am, and I, I enjoy them from time to time now. In chapter 4, what we're looking at is a witness to something that was experienced by a king. It's a very, very unique chapter in that chapter 4 is literally the story of a conversion. It's a king who is the most unlikely person to make a, a statement of the greatness of God giving to us his conversion, his story. He is an unlikely voice, but as we begin the chapter, we're hearing the voice that we heard back in chapter 3, the same voice of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the testimony of a Gentile king who God had changed from the inside. And what we read in, in Daniel chapter 4 begins with an unabashed decree of praise for Daniel's God. 
From the very beginning, the first few verses, we, we hear this man, this king, who has become someone we would never think would be saying these things, saying things as a witness to the goodness of God. Notice the testifying going on. Look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now, remember with me, and we were mentioned this by our pastors earlier in the series, remember chapter four is at least 20 years or more decades past, 20 decades or two decades past chapter two, the first dream and the interpretation from Daniel. So, so we're looking at a king whose time has gone by, his kingdom is now established. In fact, many historians will tell you that chapter four is years away from the end of chapter three. It's Sounds similar, the end of chapter 3 and the start of chapter 4, but time has gone on, and now we see Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 praising God. The Babylonian king, after praising God, begins to tell then of a dream, another one that he had. And before we look at that dream, I think it's important to notice something, an attribute about this king. We've seen it in the last few weeks at the time of this dream and before, Nebuchadnezzar had a significant pride problem. His favorite word was I. He thought much of himself, and it probably is not surprising to hear me say pride is not an insignificant issue when it comes to God. It can certainly be an issue. Muhammad Ali in his heyday, the boxing champion, he had taken his seat on a 747, which was starting to taxi down the runway for takeoff, and a flight attendant walked by and noticed that Ali didn't have on his seatbelt, and so she said, excuse me, sir, please fasten your seatbelt. He looked up and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked back and said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> Pride can get you in a lot of problems. Thinking more of yourself than you ought is a major issue. Have you ever had something happen in your life when you honestly, if confession's good for the soul, you thought something good about yourself, but only a course of time proved that that probably wasn't the right thing to think? Could someone just slip a hand up and say, I've been there before? I have too. There was an Easter play years ago, years ago in a church somewhere north, south, east, and west of here, and I was in that Easter play, and I was a part of that Easter drama, and my part was the blind man, the blind man that gets healed when Jesus touches his eyes. That was my part. And so we did a dress rehearsal, and they said, Todd, here's when you come in. You're led by a boy down the center aisle of the church. You get up to the front. You walk up. You ask Jesus to heal you. He'll put his hands on you. You act surprised. Oh, my goodness, I can see, and then run out the back door worshiping God. I said, okay, I can do that. Dress rehearsal came. I practiced my part. I got so excited, I jumped off the platform out the back door. And when we got done with the dress rehearsal, people came to me and said, Todd, that was a great blind man do that tonight when we do the performance i said okay i thought i was a good actor oh how we need to be careful 
The performance came that night, and I walked in with the boy leading me, and I got to the front during the performance, and I pleaded with Jesus to heal me, and he reached out his hand and touched my eyes. I saw a light for the first time, and I got so excited, I jumped off the stage and started running down the back, the front aisle, rather, the middle aisle. And, and have you ever got up in the middle of the night, and you knew a door was there, but you're feeling for the door? I didn't run through the back door, I ran into the back door. <laughs> Pride can bring us down. Something about Nebuchadnezzar just oozed with pride. And when we're reading Daniel chapter 4, we're about to hear a man's words in chapter 4 of a dream. And the very beginning of his words describing the dream, you can hear the embedded pride of this man. Verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. It was an easy time for him. It was a successful time for the king. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me. This happened in chapter 2, remember? All the wise men came. The enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my dream... As I lay in bed were these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. It was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in behead, behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. And then we come to perhaps the most significant verse in the entire chapter. Its essence is repeated three different times, here in verse 17, another time in verse 25, and still another time in verse 32. Daniel 4, verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that, here it is, they may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. I think one of the main points of this chapter is very simply found in that 17th verse, and that is this, that God is above everything, so all power on earth is delegated. God is over everything. The Most High rules the kingdom of men. Now, I have a confession to make. It is so easy for me to forget this. 
so easy. In our hyper-partisan, increasingly chaotic and caustic American culture, it's good to hear the reminder of Daniel in chapter two that Pastor Don reminded us of a couple weeks ago. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Praise God. The Most High rules the kingdom of men. I find great comfort when I read in Romans chapter 13 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. We caught it, didn't we? We get to have power. It doesn't come from us. Nebuchadnezzar, be reminded, the watcher wants you to know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. Power doesn't come from us. Power comes to us. It's been given to us by a superior king. So politicians get power. They're given power. It's not of their own doing. That would be a great place for an amen right there. <laughs> amen. Bosses employers, we have power, don't we? But we're given power by the Most High. He's the one that gives that to us. It's delegated to us. Dads and moms, in perhaps the greatest responsibility in this life, when those children come along, we get power. We're given power by a gracious God who is on most high and aware of the affairs of mankind. To every single person, when power comes into our life, it's God saying, here. Because all power on earth is delegated power. Nebuchadnezzar obviously needed to be reminded of this. It's why in his dream, he thought these things and the angel that came down wanted mankind and Nebuchadnezzar to know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. I, I, I sometimes think rather simplistically, I know, but if, if there was one word that I could put on a t-shirt that God has embedded in my spirit the last many, many years, one word, single word, it would just be the word, it had to be a, a big t-shirt, sovereignty. You know why? Because that's what God is. He's sovereign. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and we are the recipient of his greater power. We get power. After telling the dream, the king then pleads for Daniel to come and give him the interpretation. And at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar did not need a yes man. He needed someone to speak truth to him. And so the Bible tells us in verse 19, Daniel stepped up and began to interpret the dream. The interpretation began, notice with me in verse 19, how Daniel postures himself. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. 
There obviously was a relationship between Daniel and Belteshazzar to cause Daniel, the soon-to-be interpreter of the dream, to be alarmed and concerned for the well-being of the king. I don't believe that simply means that he was afraid that what he was about to say would be met with a sword by the king. I think and I believe there was compassion on the part of Daniel because they had been through some stuff together. They had walked through some things together. Daniel was in the rule of the king, and the the king trusted Daniel. And Daniel, when he began to receive the interpretation, realized that there were some things he was about to say that were going to be very troublesome. But I think a main point that we often need to remember is not only is God above everything and that all power on earth is delegated, but number two, sometimes love involves tough conversations and really hard places. Daniel began to understand this because he began to understand what he was about to say involved a very difficult conversation. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the earth whose leaves were beautiful. Verse 22, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, verse 23. And because the king saw a watcher coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, believe the stump, verse 24, this is the interpretation, king. It's a decree of the most high which has come upon my lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Therefore, O king, verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. See, see, love involves tough conversations, and I think Daniel understood this. In fact, as we read, we see a textbook, I think, for how to speak the truth in love, don't we? If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15, we're told as Christians to be about the business when necessary to speak truth, but to speak truth in love. How did Daniel communicate to a king uh, that was his superior? First of all, he, tr- he communicated with compassion. He let the king know, this is troubling for me. This is alarming. I know that because Nebuchadnezzar said, don't be alarmed, Daniel. He knew something was wrong with Daniel's face or something was letting him know that there was trouble about to be told. And the king said, don't worry about it. Just tell me. But Daniel expressed it with compassion. He also spoke clear truth. Speaking the truth involves speaking clearly the truth. Daniel 4 reminds me of other confrontations that were given by men to great kings. Moses to Pharaoh, clear truth. Elijah to the prophets of Baal, clear truth. Nathan to David, you're the one, David, clear truth. Jesus to Pilate, clear truth. And now Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. King, you're the one, you're the great tree. You're the tree going to be chopped down. You will live like an animal. And all of this will happen to teach you a valuable lesson. When you come to your spiritual senses, your kingdom will eventually be brought back. David Helm said it this way, a great quote. He said, we must be willing to share the bad news with people that they are out of sorts with God even as our heart breaks for them. 
It's compassion. It's clear truth. And yet it also includes, and Daniel did it with the king, a call to repentance. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Here comes the call to repentance. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. And here comes the hope that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. I, I imagine in our church there are some of us who are dealing with very difficult situations in our families, in our jobs, involving truth that has to be communicated and it's tough. Those conversations are difficult, but sometimes love is a tough conversation. May God help us to do it compassionately and speak clearly to tell the truth, to ask for repentance, and to give hope. As soon as Daniel had finished interpreting the dream, it's amazing to me, the text stops. He asked the king, stop your sin, break off your sin, then possibly your kingdom will come back to you. We're not told what the king said that day. In fact, the very next verses bring us into the future at least one year from when Daniel said that about breaking off the sin. Look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he, that's Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof. The royal palace in Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Did I tell you Nebuchadnezzar had a pride problem? Twelve months went by. No repentance. No turn. No bowing a knee. Simply marking time. And as he walked on the palace roof that day, praising himself for what had happened, the hammer of God's judgment came down. Because sometimes love involves tough conversations, but also sometimes love involves really hard places. God loves us so much that his grace reaches for things that are so far down and at times will allow us to be in places that get our attention because that's how much he loves us. Wouldn't it be great if the Christian life was always a 10 on the scale? Wouldn't that be awesome? Forget a Christian life, just life in general for anybody, whether they're Christian or not. Wouldn't it be great if life was just a 10? But how many of you know sometimes it's not a 10? Anybody? Anybody raise a hand and say, yep, that's me right now? Sometimes, for reasons that are hard to understand because we can't understand sovereignty all, at all the time, sometimes God allows the 10 to become a 7 or a 5 or a 3 or even a 1. And yet that's not a mean God. That's not a God who's turned his back to us. Perhaps it's a God who loves us so much that he's willing to allow things to happen to get our attention so that we could finally turn toward him. Sometimes love requires hard places. 
Daniel chapter 4, verse 31 says, The judgment came while the words were still in the king's mouth. There fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like the bird's claws. What an amazing picture of the fall of a supreme ruler in Babylon. To one moment be lauding himself for how great he is, and the next moment a, a, a place comes upon him that he never could have imagined, but he had heard over and over before. But because he hadn't turned to God yet, God brought that upon him to get his attention. Medicine tells us there is a, a behavioral disorder called lycanthropy. It's a real thing. A person believes he or she is an animal and behaves like an animal. They don't become an animal, but they think they are, and they behave like an animal. Could it be that Nebuchadnezzar walked into this, and for seven periods of time, whether that be seven years or seven months, we're not exactly sure, but for a period of time, he lived as a subhuman person. He lived among animals. He ate grass instead of food. He slept in the fields. His appearance, his appearance and his heart was bestial. Why? Because God was wanting to get his attention. I hear the words of Paul saying in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's a tough picture when you get to verse 34. That slide down of chapter 4 is vast and dark and very hard. But perhaps one of the greatest revelations that Nebuchadnezzar received is I pray something we can know as well. And that is if we feel bad in the presence of God, that's a good thing. Because we like to feel bad? No, none of us do. But if our life is away from God and we walk into his presence in any way and we feel bad, can I just tell you, that's a gift from God. Why? Because he's willing to bring us close. He's willing to show us our lack and his holiness. And so when that happens, may we do what Nebuchadnezzar was faced with, and that was make a choice to turn to God. The humiliation lasted, but finally we come to verse 34. When a wild king, now eating grass and living like an animal, in verse 34 it says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. C.S. Lewis said, As long as you're looking down, you can't see something that is above you. But when you look up, that's when everything changes. I suppose it reminds us a third point in Daniel 4, and that is that God always responds to humility. Always. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 tells us, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes 
And then in verse 36, that king said, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. How could that possibly happen, Todd? It happened because God's grace is at work in the humble and the humbled. Nearly 40 years had gone by since his first dream. Worship team, you can come on up. Chapter 2, that first dream we heard about, and Daniel responded, the towering figure and Christ, that Roman Empire Christ that we were told so beautifully about in the middle of it. Forty years had transpired since that time. But he finally, after 40 years, looked up. Todd, how do I apply Daniel 4? Let me give you a few ideas. Number one, keep praying for your loved ones. If they're far from God, if everything inside of you aches for them to know the Savior that you know, and they have turned away again and again and again and again, please be encouraged today, God's grace is still at work. Keep praying for them. It may take 40 years, but God's grace reaches Maybe a way to apply it is compassionately and clearly speak truth when that opportunity arrives. Maybe it's with that loved one or maybe it's with someone else and the time arrives for us to do what Daniel did and confront in a godly way. When that happens, maybe we can echo the posture of Daniel and clearly and compassionately and with hope speak truth. Maybe it also includes today humbling ourselves. I, I, I'm just convinced God always responds to humility. But I think his preference is that we humble ourselves. Now, if we don't, he'll do it for us. But I think his preference is that we do it. We bow our knee. And so maybe today is a good day to humble ourselves. How does that look, Todd? What does that look like? Maybe it's reading when you get home later tonight, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. God, your dominion is an everlasting dominion. Your kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. You do, nothing, you do everything according to your will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay your hand or say to you, what have I done? Maybe remind yourself of his eternal kingdom perspective will come and maybe it's reading Philippians chapter 2 I can't preach about a king that was humbled without thinking of another king who humbled himself so much so that the apostle Paul said let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, 
When that happened, God has highly elevated him and exalted him to a name above every name. At that name, Mark, you're exactly right. There's no other name by which we must be saved. So today is a great opportunity to mirror and to reflect that king by humbling ourselves. And maybe I would be remiss if I didn't include, if you're at the bottom today, Look up. Look up. I know it hurts. I know there's loss. But God is not mad at you. His grace reaches for those that are humbled. So look up. Could it be one day that King Jesus will welcome King Nebuchadnezzar into the very presence of heaven? I, I don't know exactly what all heaven will be like. We have some estimation in Scripture, or help, some description. This is just my imagination. I think there's going to be a Grace Community Corner. I'm glad I'm going to be living on that corner. That's exciting. And maybe we'll get to see the king of kings welcome a Babylonian king into the presence of heaven. And maybe we'll see that Babylonian king who was humbled take his crown and cast it at the feet of the one who humbled himself. The king who was brought down will stand next to the king who came down. And one exalted king will turn to the exalted king of kings. And maybe, just maybe, we'll hear the words again. It seems good to me to show the things that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Bow with me, everybody. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so humbled by your grace. We need you so much today, God except for your grace, that's the way we'd go. But thank you that you reach to us as we humble ourselves, and God also thank you that you even allow things that humble us so that we can look up. Help us, Lord, to look to you. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I, I, uh, I know we're going to sing, but I, I'd like to ask you to do one more thing with me. And if there is a great appreciation in your heart, and I kind of think there probably is, for the grace of God that you've experienced in your life, and you're so thankful that God reached for you, and you looked up one day, and his grace wrapped you up, 
and you're in a place now that you never could have imagined before and there's hope and there's life. As I think about that for my life, would you think about that for your life? And then now, one last time, could we all across the sanctuary today simply put our hands together and give God a great applause for his grace that reaches to us? Come on, everybody. Thank you for reaching to us, God. Thank you for grace that reaches to where we are, God. Thank you for hope when we need it the most, God. Thank you for getting our attention, Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wonderful and great and majestic is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We praise your name, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Amen, amen.